0: All right. It's another great day for a podcast session. This is the Master Passive Income Podcast. My name is Dustin Heiner. I am so glad that you guys are here with me today. Now, at Master Passive Income, we talk all about real estate rental properties and how you can invest in real estate, make passive income every single month, cash flow that goes in your pocket without you working a job. That's right. It's an automatic business. My business is automatic, meaning it works without me. When I go on vacation for six weeks in Europe or Japan or go to two weeks in Alaska or whatever vacation I go on, I literally don't work. My properties work for me, my property managers who I hire, my contractors, my realtors, my inspectors, my bankers, everybody else works for me while I just reap all the benefits because they do all the work. Now, today's session, we're going to be talking about investing in crazy, expensive markets like Washington, D.C. There are actually ways to invest in places like Washington, D.C., San Francisco, L.A., and all these crazy places where the prices are really, really high rents are really really low but there are ways to make money with real estate in these crazy markets all right let's jump into it let's start the show and get moving To the Master
1: Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about all aspects of real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here's your host, Dustin Heiner.
0: All right, now, I am super excited to share with you an investor that I met recently who actually invests in Washington, DC. Now, before I do that, I had to bring something up to you. Now, I recently saw this board game that came out and it made me laugh. But at the same time, this board game gave me thoughts that this is a huge opportunity for us real estate investors. So the board game that came out is called Monopoly for Millennials monopoly for millennials apparently monopoly thought this was a great idea to put out not saying if it's good or bad but it just made me laugh and you might be thinking how can a board game actually give good opportunity for investors like us well let me let me explain it so if you don't know what monopoly is monopoly is a board game that you play against other people and the goal of the game is to acquire land these little square tiles acquire land with money you start with some money and you buy some land as you roll the dice you go around and round and round You buy land, and then you buy houses to put on your land. And as people land on your tiles, you charge them rent. You charge them money. Like, anyways, I I don't need to go into it. But that's basically it. It's teaching people how to invest in real estate. You buy one house, then two houses. Eventually, you move up to a hotel or a apartment complex. And that's what we as investors try to do: is get more doors in a place like going from a single family home to a duplex to a quad, a quadplex to a 40 unit apartment complex and so on. And so that's what Monopoly teaches you. The, the essence of Monopoly is all about real estate and buying land and using your money for you, which is what we do, which is great, right? Well, this new game that Monopoly put out, it's called Monopoly for Millennials. I could not believe it. It just, okay, I thought first, okay, that's interesting. Monopoly for Millennials. Um, let's take a look at it. But then I read the tagline. It literally says, forget real estate. You cannot afford it anyway. (laughs) Can you believe that? It's telling millennials, like, this is literally a board game. It's not a joke. They made this. Forget real estate. You cannot afford it, anyways. And so here's what they do. So, Monopoly for Millennials board game is it says, adulting. Apparently, that's a term. Adulting. Being an adult is hard. Take a break from the rat race with this edition of Monopoly board game. So the board game is, a, it says it's a great choice for millennials to take a break from everything. Hey, everything's so hard in life. And so just take a break. And the instead of accumulating land and properties and homes on that property, it actually says, you win by creating cool experiences and going to cool places and going to really great things. You know, you can have experiences from sleeping on your friend's couch to going to a vegan bistro to a week-long Mediterranean receipt, retreat, and that that's what you're getting is, is experiences. And it says... It's all about experiences, not about real estate, not about providing for your family, not about making money so that you can go on these experiences. It's all about doing these experiences. And, it, you know, what's actually even more funny is, you know, I am a part of the millennial generation. Um, apparently, just in my age, I, I break down. I'm in the millennial generation. But apparently a lot of the millennials, the current millennials that are like really identify with millennials, they're really offended by this. They're saying, hey, we're broke, but it's not our fault. So I mean, literally, somebody put this like on, on uh, Twitter. I saw somebody I literally write, hey, we're broke, but it's not our fault you know, stupid millennial um, uh, monopoly for millennials. Um, they were irritated at that because they felt offended. Well, whatever. I don't really, it doesn't bother me at all that someone gets offended. But what's interesting is it's very true that millennials do not want to own real estate. They've gone through the 2008 crash. They've seen bad things happen. They possibly don't want to work hard for a property. i not saying that's true for everybody, but it just seems like you know, there's a reason why they Monopoly put this out, because they're seeing millennials wanting experiences as opposed to actual tangible wealth. Remember when I said that this is a huge opportunity for us as investors? My goodness, if nobody is buying houses, then where are they going to live? They're going to live in places that are renting to them. They're not going to buy the house. They're going to rent it. And so that's a huge opportunity for you and an opportunity for me that there are fewer people buying homes. You know, homeowners, they're our biggest competition. You know, other investors are not our competition. There are so many more homeowners than there are investors. So you and I... We have this huge opportunity to buy properties, rent them to millennials who just want to have experiences. You know, if they're going on a two week Mediterranean, um, you know, or week long Mediterranean retreat, which is one of the cool destinations in Monopoly for millennials, if they're doing that, then they are spending their money on that. They're not spending their money on a home. They're not making money to where they can buy a home. So you and I, we can buy homes for them, let them rent it from us so they don't have to worry about adulting. <laughs> I guess that's the term. They don't have to worry about adulting and buying a house because that's hard. You and I could do it, because we know it's easy. It's it's not necessarily easy. It's simple. The process is simple. We can do it. We can buy the property. We can get a property manager over that property and get a millennial in there to pay off our mortgage, to pay off our taxes, our insurance, all of our expenses, and put money in our pockets. I'm I'm super excited that millennials really, or it seems like millennials don't like real estate. If they don't, I'm totally fine with buying the property for them, letting them live in my property, a nice property that's well taken care of, and they just pay me rent. I'm totally happy with doing that. So hopefully you're like me and seeing this as a huge opportunity that in the next, I don't know, five or ten years maybe longer, we are going to have a bigger pool of renters and a smaller pool of competitors against on all these properties that are out there. So properties are going to get cheaper for us to buy. There's going to be more people wanting to rent, which drives up rent prices. Oh, it's, I'm, I'm excited. On top of having, you know, seeing this board game and, and laughing really hard that Monopoly actually thought this was a good idea. Apparently a lot of millennials are upset, but for you and me, it's going to be a great time to invest. If you are actively investing now or you're thinking about it, don't continue to think. Start acting. Start investing. Start buying properties because this is a huge opportunity. I don't know how long it's going to last, but as soon as you see a property that you can make money on, you want to move on it because you want to get ahead of this because this is just starting. Millennials are just really getting in the buying age where now they're not going to buy Whereas normal red generations, they would be buying a property and living in it, you know, having, getting married, having kids, settling down. Well, they're not, millennials aren't. So it's great for you and I to have a place for them to rent and make money from. You're going to get rich. You're going to get wealthy because millennials, they just don't want to adult. Apparently this is what millennials or the monopoly says. So you and I are going to get wealthy from this. All right. Now moving on from monopoly for millennials. Recently, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Lucas Hall. I met Lucas about a couple months ago. And he is a he's a number one, he's a great guy. Um, I, was, I really enjoyed talking to him. But number two, he's an investor. He's an investor that invests in Washington, D.C. When I first heard that he invests in Washington, D.C., I almost did double—I did a double take. Basically, my jaw almost hit the ground. I said, how in the world are you investing in Washington, D.C.? Isn't that where like All the money goes to, you know, all of our politicians, they literally take our money and dump it into Washington, D.C. Like, that's, that's the capital. That's where all the money goes. It's rather sad. But I said, how in the world are you doing that? And he said, well it's actually very simple. I rent it out per room. I said, you you do what? And you actually make good money and they take care of it and all that sort of stuff. Well, I'm not going to get into it right now because he'll explain all that entire process. Really, really fantastic. On another side note, he is a part of a company called Cozy, C-O-Z-Y. They are a free property management software, literally free. Like It's completely free to use. I use it for my properties. So In the show notes, I will put in there the uh, the link to Cozy. You can get your free property management software. And if you'd use my affiliate link, it doesn't cost anything to you because obviously it's free. It'll indicate that you're part of my my listeners and I'll get a little bit of affiliate commission, very, very little, but it just shows them that I'm helping reach reach other people and showing other landlords. There there are fantastic tools out there that are super awesome that are free. And he'll explain all that, how he became a part of that. He started this website called Landlordology.com, Cozy that from him now, he works for them. He really enjoys helping other investors, so it's been a great match working with him. And I also do have a YouTube video where he walks you through or walks me and you will be able to watch it walks through the entire software of Cozy and helps us to see how amazing Cozy is and how easy it is to use and how it's going to make us even more money and save us money because it doesn't cost a penny. So go to the show notes page now. This show notes page is masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 034. This is episode number 34, forward slash 034. I'll have the show notes on there, as well as I'll have the video of Lucas walking you through the entire process and everything that Cozy can do, and they're con- continually making it better and better. All right, and I hope you enjoy this interview I did with Lucas. Let's get started. All right, I am super excited to share with all of you today a gentleman that I met at a recent conference that I was at. His name is Lucas Hall. He is the founder of Landlordology, as well as he now works for Cozy, and Cozy is the software that I actually use, but we're not going to get into that right now. What I wanted to bring him on the show for was to show you that normal people start businesses buying real estate and then progress from there, and they build other businesses as well as just continue to build their own real estate rental property business. So without further ado, Lucas, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Hi Dustin. Thanks for having me. This is exciting.
0: Great. So before we jump into everything about real estate, let's get to know who you are. So who are you? You know, what do you do besides real estate and run your business? You know, do you have a wife? Do you have a kids? Do you like what do you do for fun? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Oh wow. So I work for Cozy, as you mentioned. We build software. So I, I've always been kind of a tech guy and I, I like I'd like to build things on the computer. So I've always been into graphics. I, I used to uh, run a little web design business, uh, but I, I currently work for cozy and we build software for landlords and I use it myself. Like, like you, I use it myself to manage uh, my own properties and and some of which are 2000 miles away. So it's kind of neat that I get to build something that I use in my day to day life as well. So uh, on a personal level, though, I, I, I invest in real estate, but besides that, I like to snowboard. Uh, my wife and I just moved to Colorado. We, we have a six-year-old daughter uh, that we adopted from Ethiopia, and we have uh, two, two doodles. Uh, one is a golden doodle. One is a new doodle, which is a weird combination, but, they, uh, but he's like a 100-pound hundred, hundred puppy, which is pretty cool. Um, and I, I love to hike. I love to get in the mountains and do fun stuff like that.
0: That's awesome. I, I'm i a skier personally. I absolutely love skiing. I tried snowboarding when it first came out. And I started skiing, then tried snowboarding. It first came out for about two years. I started snowboarding and realized I was I enjoyed it, but I had more fun skiing for whatever reason, and so I went back to skiing. But um, I, what's fun is um, I have a really good friend of mine. Uh, when we were younger, we'd buy season passes and half day. I would ride skis, and he'd ride his snowboards. And then at half day, have lunch, and then I'd ride his snowboard. He'd ride my skis. <laughs> so yeah, I'm right there with you. That's awesome. <laughs> now, did you move to Colorado for snowboarding?
1: Uh, sort of a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm not that good, but I do feel like it's something that my wife and I have always enjoyed and we've been traveling to, uh, the. Colorado mountains to go skiing and snowboarding for the better part of 10 years. And we've always thought, well, you know, if we ever wanted to live somewhere where we really enjoyed where we lived and the quality of life was great, we we would want to live in the Denver area. So uh, we finally just bit the bullet and said, you know what, we're going to do it. We're just going to do it. And we uh, we moved, uh, just picked up and left and we said, we'll figure it out. So uh, we currently are building a house in the denver area and it actually settles uh next week which is exciting
0: <laughs> oh congratulations that's cool Thanks. yeah good and so you said you adopted a daughter from ethiopia she's 6 years old now that's that's fantastic good for you
1: yeah yeah she we've had her for about 4 years and she's just uh she's spunky and just so wonderful so uh if no one if you've ever considered adoption or ever thought about it or maybe you haven't ever thought about it it's it's just really just, a, it's just a wonderful heart, and it's just something that is just beautiful and um, oftentimes gives back to the people who, who adopt rather than the people who were adopted. So I feel like I got more out of it than my daughter, which <laughs> is hard to believe, but um, it's just wonderful. I encourage very, it.
0: very cool. That's, that's very encouraging. Very good. So, Lucas, so what got you started investing in real estate and rental properties? Like, what was it? You wanted to quit your job? Did you want to have more freedom, more money? What got you started? A girl. <laughs> oh, wow. That's the first time I ever heard that.
1: <laughs> yeah, a girl. Seriously. So, I, I, I like this girl that she was cute and I saw her about once a week at this uh, this church function. And, you know, one time I just said, hey, you know, how was your week going? And it was just trying to get her to talk to me. And she said, oh, it was great. I, uh, I bought a house and I thought, oh, that's amazing. Like I didn't quite know how to respond to it. I think she was 23 or 24 at the time. And, uh, I didn't know what to make of it. So I thought, well, this girl is like super smart because she bought a house and she's super pretty. And so I want to get to know her better. And so what I did, you know, the next logical thing is I, I hired a real estate agent and I said, let's go find a house in her neighborhood. And then I can do the same thing. I can go find, you know, roommates to live with me and they'll pay my mortgage and I'll basically house hack it by the room and I'll live there practically for free. And that's what she was doing. And I thought I'll do the same thing and it'll impress her. So I did. I found a real estate agent, and I I bought a house like seven blocks from her, and did the same thing. I found a bunch of roommates, and they paid my mortgage. And that's essentially how I got started with my first uh, my first <laughs> rental property. Uh, but you know, it actually has a great happy ending because uh, my evil master plan worked. Because she was so impressed that we started dating, and then about three years later, we got married.
0: <laughs> that is super awesome. You said three years after you met and she told you she had a, par- a property and then you bought one. So three years went from when you met.
1: Pretty much three years. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. Uh, in normal circumstances, that would actually seem kind of stalkery. <laughs> you know? Like I'm going to buy your house in your neighborhood just to get you to notice <laughs> me. But, you know, she was really into real estate and so was her family. And so I think, you know, it, where some girls like diamonds and jewelry, like the fact that I bought a house was really attracted to her, too. So it was You know, it played off our our own interests and benefits, so it worked.
0: That is super awesome. That's a it's a new way that I've I've never heard of getting a girl like that, but that is awesome. Very, very cool. So, everybody listening, you heard Lucas mention house hacking, and house hacking is basically a way to buy a house and with the idea of eventually having as a rental property or like Lucas did, get people to move in with you and they pay your mortgage because they're paying you rent. And so I actually have a whole podcast episode. It's masterpassiveincome.com forward slash zero one six. That's the podcast show notes. I have show notes in there on how to house hack and start your rent- rental property business. So um, if you want to learn that, you can go there and listen and, and learn all about that. But Lucas, great job. So from there, what was your your next property so it sounded like you got married um did you have one property and she had one property did you guys buy another one before then individually like what was the next steps
1: so we each had our own properties but uh eventually living with roommates kind of Goes sour, right? I mean, living in my case, it was a, a house on Capitol Hill in DC, and those row houses are like a hundred years old. And uh, in my case, it was a six-bedroom house, so I had a lot of rooms, and I was able to fill those with with just Craigslist roommates that uh, ended up becoming friends, which was nice. But they were paying, you know, maybe six or seven hundred dollars a piece to have their own room and then common areas that they would share, and it was it was amazing because it really did profit. You know, it, it really did cash flow uh, better than a single family home that I just ran into, a, like a single family unit. And uh, that was great. But eventually I got tired of living with people. You know, I got tired of living with five other guys. And so I took the equity that I had in the house and I decided I'm going to go buy a studio. And I bought a studio right next to the Metro stop. And it was uh, two blocks from from the Congress buildings and the Senate. And it just, you know, I knew that I could fill it with interns and Capitol Hill, uh, employees. And it was just kind of a hotspot. So I've run into studio and with the intent to eventually make that another rental. So I took the equity out of the other house, uh, put a very small down payment on the studio that I was living in as my primary residence and then lived there, uh, until I got married to this girl. And so I, I had two properties before we got married and she had one. And, uh, and from there, I could, I, I knew I could move out and then rent it uh, for a profit too. So by the time I got married, we had a total of three properties that were cash flowing uh, that we could add into our portfolio and then continue to build on that.
0: Good for you. That That's great. I didn't start investing until after we got married and I was, had to talk her, my wife into actually buying her first property um, with me. And so- that was a whole big ball of wax. Her, her dad was a, um, a retired teacher. Her mom was a stay-at-home mom. They were very risk averse. And so buying a house for investment was just completely not normal. It's like something crazy people do. And so that was a lot of work. So you had a, a little easier than I did in order to get the first property and then the subsequent properties.
1: Sure. Yeah. And you know I grew up the same way as, as your wife. I actually grew up thinking that you bought one house and that was the one house you lived in for the rest of your life. Like That was it. Because I saw my grandparents do that. I saw my parents do that. And That's all I knew, and it it wasn't until I met this girl that I ended up marrying that it kind of blew that out of the water. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. And then I started realizing, geez, I could cash flow. Like I love cash flow. Like I I like rental income. Like I can do this. You know, this is easy. (laughs) So,
0: and that that's terrific. And I caught something, and hopefully the other listeners, all my listeners, have heard and caught this. This was Washington D.C., right?
1: Right. Right. So this is in Washington D.C., where, where houses are typically, you know, average single family home is going to be six or seven hundred thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, I mean that. Okay, personally, I was living in California when I first started buying properties. I was living in Fresno, which is not the most expensive place. I, it's not San Francisco, it's not San Diego or Los Angeles, but it was still pricey. And so I thought, you know what, I want to buy a house in some place where it's relatively inexpensive, or you know, compared to California. So I went to Ohio and bought a property in Ohio because I, I was like, man, these prices are too high. I would never have thought let me buy a house in Washington DC and make money for that. So that blows my mind that you are making money, um, from properties, but you, you did mention how you did it and how you're doing it. So let's talk a little bit more about how your, um, your business model in buying someplace like DC, like, um, let's go over through a little bit, things like, you know, how you found the property, um, how you bought it, like with financing or, or other ways, um, you know, the size of the property, um, And what type of rents do you get? How much the expenses are? Just just the numbers on the property. Can you tell us a little about that?
1: Sure. So let's start with the the big six bedroom house that I have on Capitol Hill. So I knew that was a great area for renters. I I knew it's where a lot of people come in right out of college and they want to live in community with other people. They you know they're not so sure about having a, a place themselves yet, so they live with other people. And because the prices and the rent are high. They typically want to offload some of that cost to other people, so they're they're happy to live with roommates. And I knew that uh, I could probably command a a, a a decent dollar for it. And the tricky part about it was that uh, I had heard about the standard equations. I'd heard about the math that that you're supposed to follow when you're buying a rental property. And you know, commonly there's like the one percent rule, where you know, if a house, uh, let's say the house purchase price is one hundred thousand dollars then you would need to get about $1,000 in rent, which is 1%, right, uh, a month. And that would make a profitable and a good investment, right? That would that would pay for itself. But, but in D.C., you know, I mean, okay, so let's say the house is, you know, $600,000. You know, am I really going to be able to get, uh, I'm sorry, $600,000? Am I really going to be able to get $6,000 a month for a house? And uh, generally speaking, the answer is no. Like a renter is not going to, you know, a group or a family isn't typically going to pay $6,000. So what I figured out was that in high, uh, high rent areas and and high density, uh, cities like DC and San Francisco and LA and New York, you know, if it's not necessarily a, a percentage game, it's a bedroom game. So, uh, that particular house that I have Will probably never cater to a single income family or a dual, even a dual income family, because it just it, it, even a dual income family isn't, isn't going to want to pay, you know, five or six thousand dollars. They're going to want to pay about thirty five hundred. You know, so what I can do though is I can convert a basement into two extra bedrooms, and I can uh, you know legally get those certified, and then I can have a total of six bedrooms in this house. And I can rent it to groups of roommates who might want to live together. And there's six people, and they each pay about eight or nine hundred bucks, you know. And, and if they're all under one lease, they all pay me uh, electronically, and they all can see everybody else's rent payments in the house, and uh, they're considered one entity, one one family per se. And so I'm able to get about, I actually get about fifty four hundred dollars for that uh, property, and my mortgage is about four. And so, after you know saving for expenses and capex and all that, I'm I'm actually profiting anywhere from eight to eight hundred to thousand dollars a month, which is unheard of considering the prices of the rental property. Property, uh, rental property and just general property in Washington D.C., but that's how I was able to make it work, and that's you know it became a numbers bedroom game.
0: That's that's absolutely fantastic. That much money on one property in um, passive income is great. Now, our taxes. I'm going to take a quick tangent. Are taxes really really high in Washington D.C. and is that calculated in your numbers?
1: They are. Yeah, they're they're incredibly high just because it's it's DC, but, uh, that's built into my PITI. Uh, and so I pay that with a mortgage and, uh, that and the PITI insurance taxes and principal and interest all included is about four grand on that property and, uh, Got it. and I'm able to get 54.
0: Got it. So with that 4,000, that was including all the principal taxes insurance. Um, very, very cool. So when you're looking at doing this business, this type of business, cause I've always had an idea that, um, renting to, like renting to basically college students is really a rough proposition <laughs> because you know they could tear up the property. Or, um, you know, if you have multiple people in a property, you have the problem of who do I actually hold accountable? You know, do I hold everybody accountable? Do I hold one person accountable? You know, how do I actually make sure that um, everything is done? You know, how do we get the lease? How do I make sure the bedrooms are filled? All that sort of stuff. So, the business model of having one family or one person sign on the lease and moving in is simple. Yours sounds much more complicated. Now I'm going to ask you the question: Is it complicated? Number one, and number two, how do you actually do that to where you fill the properties? You know, once you know it turns over and you have a new, uh, like basically a vacant uh, place, and you got to get more tenants in there. How do you do that business process?
1: Great question. So. I do it as if I were renting to a single family, so I treat it as one lease. I treat it as they are all part of one entity, and so the lease uh, is under joint and several liability, which means that uh, it's kind of like the Three Musketeers, where it's all for one and one for all. So uh, they are considered one unit, and if one roommate decides to get up and leave and you know just disappear on the other ones, the other ones are still responsible for the full rent amount. It doesn't mean that they can't. Pay that person's rent on their behalf. They they have to. They're they're now under the lease, so I don't actually worry about those bedrooms. And in fact, I've had one uh, at my wife's old property, the one that she bought originally. You know, it's a five bedroom in in the same area, and we've had the same uh, same lease essentially renewing over and over and over and over again uh, for almost six years. And what ends up happening is there's you know a few roommates who stick around year after year, and they just find friends and roommates through their networks to fill the other bedrooms. And then I add those to the lease at the renewal time, uh, or right at the time when they move in and, uh, and just modify the lease and keep it going. So, you know, I never really worry about, uh, one bedroom being empty because that's not my responsibility anymore. That's the, the group's responsibility. And if they don't fill it, then, uh, they still have to make up for the rent. Um, alternatively though, with, uh, uh, we're trying to you know rent to college students. I, I actually don't really consider them college students, and I don't actually rent to people who are in school. I, I rent to people who are typically right out of school and looking for their first job, and they move to DC and with you know stars in their eyes, and they're working for a congressman or or somebody, and uh, they they typically love it. They love being in a high density area. They love being in a cute neighborhood. And um, they typically want to kind of grow up. I know that sounds weird, but, you know, in college, it's like the mentality is I'm only here for a short time. But now that they're out of college, they typically try to keep the property nice. They want a place that they can be proud of. And I I don't have a lot of problem with it. Uh, The only thing that does uh, come up from time to time is that when I do have a group that does leave uh, in in full, like I know they're all leaving, none of them are renewing. then uh, they typically don't clean as well as they normally should or a normal house uh, normal group attendance would. so I do have to usually get in there, spend about double I w- that I would normally would on cleaning. I usually have to you know replace things like sometimes toilets just need to be replaced or sometimes um, there's a few extra holes in the walls. but you know, considering the rent that I'm getting, it's all. Easily done, you know. And I have a group of contractors that I've worked with for years. That they just they know what to do. They get in and they fix it up, and it's you know it's inexpensive and it's clean and done.
0: That's great. Now, is that something that you would continually look for more properties in the DC area to do something similar, or you you want to keep replicating that
1: model? I think I think not. Um, I I like that model, and it was it was good for a time. Uh, And there's certainly a lot of profit in it, but. Uh, but that property will always be a group house property. It it will never be able to convert to a, a single or dual income family unit. And, uh, as a result, I typically have to, um, typically, you know, not for that one property, but for, uh, for ones like it, I, I typically have to find new tenants every one to two years. And so if I can, you know, my other houses that have single families in them, sometimes it's like five years before I have to find a new tenant. And so that's, that's the lifestyle I'm trying to find now. And that's the lifestyle I'm trying to build with my rental portfolio is one that's more hands off and one that I can trust that I have a good tenant for a number of years and not have to worry about it, you know, every year and a half.
0: Oh yeah. That makes sense. So, usually, I wouldn't say usually almost every single person that starts investing. The first property is the hardest one to buy. You know, it's always, you know, you're worried about losing money. Obviously everybody's worried about that. You're worried about the furnace going out. You're worried about, you know, liability. You're worried about lots of stuff. So what was it like and what was going through your head as you bought your first property and then made the decision to buy it? And then once you're done with it and was it really hard to buy your first property, like tell us about that first property.
1: So w- when I bought my first property, it was 2005. And so r- around that time, like banks and mortgage lenders were, were passing out money to anybody who was breathing. So, you know, I was I was not hard pressed to find a loan that was uh, that was 100% financing or close to it. And uh, that's actually how I got my first property. Now, that is not uh, possible in today's market. And the closest you can get is a FHA 3.5% down mortgage where you only have to come up with 3.5%. Uh, and I, I think that's actually a really good alternative and a really great way to get your foot in the door is you, you just you, you find something and uh, you just come up with 3.5% of the purchase price and uh, you'll get an FHA-insured mortgage that uh, that you'll be able to use as your primary residence and then eventually you can move from that and turn it into a rental and that's a great way if you're looking to get in the door, that's a great way to get your first property.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. In, in my um, house hacking podcast, I that's exactly the best way that I tell people is anybody can save up, you know, a, just a three and a half percent down. You just got to save. You just got to work tw- hard towards saving, but then you only three and a half percent down. It's not like 20% down, which is normal conventional loan. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great, great resource for people who want to get started in house hacking like you did is is great so was it hard to get past that initial thought you know buying that first property i know you said back in 2005 they were giving out loans like if you were breathing you know which is completely agree but what was was there much a concern that you would actually get it rented or was it that hey my scenario is i'm having people move in with me and so Mm -hmm. it'll be fine
1: yeah, you know, it was scary. Uh, even though I had just watched uh, my now wife uh, back then, you know, I, I had just watched her do it. Like I had just watched her buy this house and fill it with roommates and renovate it, and and then she was living basically for free. Like, even though I saw that, it was still there was this mental barrier because i I thought, oh, man, you know, six hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money and and, uh, and when I tell my parents about it, you know, they're gonna freak out because i I think <laughs> I think they bought their first house for like sixty eight thousand dollars, and the fact that i'm <laughs> I'm buying something that big, they're probably thinking I'm committing financial suicide. So, you know, there was this all this uh, these voices in the back of your head, and you just have to say, listen, it's a, it's a math equation. You know, I know most purchases are essentially, you know, 10% math and 90% heart. And that's part of the problem. And you just kind of have to put it aside and say, listen, I'm going to be an investor. I'm going to make money on this and I'm going to choose wisely. And you just trust in your ability to learn how to do it and do it right. And, you just got to take the leap because I think the hardest, the hardest thing is that taking action. And if you can sit there and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn, but if you don't actually take action to do something, call that mortgage broker, call a, a real estate agent, you know, just start going around looking at properties with that agent um, and, and making phone calls, then you know, you're never going to do it. But once you start taking those little baby steps and taking those little tiny actions, eventually you'll have a house. It's that easy.
0: That's that's great. I always try to explain to all my students and the people listening that it is actually fairly simple. Like the process of doing it, it's simple. Once you've bought your first property, all the other ones are very, very similar. I mean, there's there's nothing that's really, really hard. If somebody has an elementary school education in math, they can run all the numbers. Now it's just getting the guts to actually pull the trigger and do it. So yeah, I, I completely agree. Just taking those baby steps to get there is, is a great, great idea. Yeah, right on. So... Where are you investing now? Or and are you investing now? And what do you see yourself, your real estate business in the future?
1: Ooh, that's a fun question. So I, I just moved to Colorado and I have a, uh, you know, maybe this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. I, I have a mental block. And I think that mental block is that I like to invest in the cities that I live in. I, I like to be on the ground. I like to be able to go drive by the property that I want to buy and, you know, scope it out and kind of check it out at different times of day and do all this, you know, on the ground research for something. And that's good, but it's not necessary. Like I know a lot of investors who, who invest out of state or out of town and, and they do just fine. And so I think I, it's a little bit of me being a control freak that I think I want to invest in Denver because that's where I live. But, uh, but I'm trying actually to get into a little bigger, and bigger of an asset class. So instead of single-family homes, which are fun and I love them, uh, I want to explore multifamily and especially the large multifamily. So I've been looking a lot in, into apartment syndication, which is an interesting beast. Uh, but for me, I'm actually considering investing in, in um, uh, an apartment uh, purchase that I know someone else I know is doing, and I'm considering just kind of being passive and maybe putting $25,000 in. Instead of having to buy, you know, a two hundred thousand dollars house, maybe I can test the waters with twenty five thousand dollars, and that's the, that's my way of taking action in a different class of property, and, um, you know, just kind of getting past that mental barrier of investing where I'm not, because this this particular apartment complex that is being purchased is in um, Fort Worth, Texas, and that's I'm, <laughs> I've never been to Fort Worth, Texas, so that's pretty cool. Uh, so that. That's what I'm trying to do. I, I will probably, you know, in all honesty, I will probably buy, you know, a single family home or a duplex here in Denver just because once you start doing it, it's hard to stop. <laughs> it's it's like an addiction a little bit. So uh, I will probably end up doing that sometime in the next couple of years. But um, uh, but anyway, I've got my my hand in a couple different jars.
0: That's great, and you're really. In progressing to multifamily, think about the the game Monopoly. Monopoly is a fantastic game to teach just money sense, but then also how to build wealth. I mean, you start with single family homes because those are the easiest ones to buy. You can get the best financing. You don't have to have a lot of experience. Actually, you you can have no experience doing that. But you buy a single family home and then you keep buying more and buying more and then you trade those in you buy an apartment complex something that's maybe four four units or eight units or something that's bigger. And then you keep trading up and you keep buying more and more and more. And over time. You know, if you just keep doing it, your wealth will be substantially greater because you're buying multifamilies. Because multifamilies are seen as a business as opposed to just you know a property. And so, you how much money brings in is how much the money's or how much the property's worth. So, all that to say, yeah, apartment complexes are great. So, good for you. Hopefully, that works out with this this place in Fort Worth, Texas. That'd be really really cool to see how that works out. So, what are your looking
1: forward to it? It's it's a great way. Sure. Great. So.
0: What are your favorite things about rental properties? Like, is it the passive income, the cash flow that comes in? Is it th- that it gives you control over your life, where you don't really have to, um, you know, answer to a, a, a boss every single day? Like, what what are your favorite things about rental properties?
1: So, I haven't found another investment that gives back as much as rental properties do. So uh, let me explain. So I like rental properties for a number of reasons. One is they uh, cash flow. If you purchase them correctly, they cash flow. So over the course of the life of that mortgage, let's just assume you buy a 30 year mortgage over that 30 years, you know, your tenants are going to be paying you rental income and they're going to be paying your mortgage. So uh, that rental income hopefully will cover the mortgage then some. And so you'll get to keep whatever net profit you have, which is fantastic. Uh, But then they'll, eventually pay your mortgage off. So, uh, that mortgage is getting paid off and you're also capturing depreciation and other tax uh, benefits as you go along. And then at the end of that 30 years, assuming you hold on to it the whole time, then you get to either keep or sell a paid for property and reap all the benefits from that as well. So I, I just can't get over the fact that like, it almost pays for itself three times over. And, uh, it's an asset that continues to grow in wealth. So hopefully by the time you pay that mortgage off or you you have it free and clear, it's worth double or even triple what it was worth when you bought it. So I, I haven't found anything quite like that. Even even stocks and mutual funds are, are great, but they're not quite that good and they're not quite that fun. you know. And it's something that I could actually give to uh, tenants and say like here you can you can make a home out of this like you can live a life here and raise families and and it's uh, it just gives back in more ways than than any other investment I've found.
0: I completely agree with you. Like it's it's just amazing how rental properties really benefit you as well as your tenants as well. You know, if you're taking care of the property, you don't want to be like a slumlord and not have good properties, um, which anybody that has worked with me, I, I definitely make sure we have good properties that we want or tenants want to live in there. So right on. I, and we want to be able to give back because we're being blessed and benefited mm-hmm. by the tenants paying off the mortgage and paying us uh, money that goes in our, our pockets. So good. So now with your business that you've had, have you had any failures? And can you give us one failure that you've had that really sticks in your mind and something that we can learn from?
1: Yes. So I bought, I I used to buy condos. And so because they were cheaper in DC and, you know, I could buy a condo for two to $300,000 rather than a house for six to 700. And they were just more affordable when I was strapped for cash. And so I, I could do that. But I learned that Condos are really not oftentimes the best rental investments uh, because they're they're burdened with heavy condo fees. There's an HOA that controls what you can and cannot do, and if you're using it and you're counting on it as a rental uh, property, then you know th- that HOA can change the laws and change the rules for that association, uh, you know, overnight. And they can just say, you know what, we're we're not going to do rentals anymore, or uh, you know what? We're only going to allow thirty percent occupancy for rentals, and then it has to be seventy percent occupancy for homeowners. And you know, and all that could just change on a dime, and you can't do anything about it. And then on top of it, I don't think they appreciate it as well. So I, I had a property that we bought for three thirty, and after twelve years, sold it for three seventy. You know, that's wow. forty thousand dollars. And and you know, we ended up making a little bit more because of all the. Appreciation over the 12 years and how much we've paid off over the time. So the debt was a little bit less, but you know, $40,000 is nothing for 12 years on that amount of cash. So, you know, that was not a good investment. And I learned that it was because I I wasn't making anything monthly on that property. I was really just breaking even. And then at the end of the day, it didn't appreciate and it was risky. So I'll probably never invest in individual condos again uh, just because they don't have the growth potential that a single family home or, or a a duplex or a multifamily, you know, building might have.
0: That's that's a great lesson. Um, we had I recently had a, another interview uh gentleman, an investor named Michael, and he <laughs> he had a run in with an HOA. And so as he was buying the property this is in Las Vegas. As he was buying the property, he read, read through the HOA but missed something in HOA um, documents. He signed the documents, bought the property, getting ready to fix it up and rent it out. And he gets notified that he cannot rent out. Like he cannot rent out the property because the HOA forbids it. He's barred from renting out the property. So what he bought it to do, he literally could not Hello. because it's a contract. So he oh, was, uh, yeah, yeah. he was, it was really, really rough. And so he was able to sell the house and then buy one, like literally across the street with a different HOA and he was able to rent it out. So, uh, it was, it was rough. So HOAs are very, very rough. So I actually like literally in my own house, I live in an HOA uh, neighborhood and they sent me a letter saying, you need to paint your house. I said, I need to do what you're telling me I have to paint my house. Like my house looks fine, <laughs> but no, it's fading on this one spot here. So you have to paint the entire thing. Anyways. Wow. HOAs are rough. So you want to watch out for those. So that's a definitely a good lesson now.
1: Yep. Yep. For sure. Man, you had to paint your house.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that probably touched on it, but there, a question I usually like to ask is looking back, um, obviously condos is one thing, but other things that you might think of your younger, younger self, like before you even started investing, before you met your then, you know, uh, uh, before uh, your wife, but be- before you actually met her, when you were thinking about, um, uh, just business in general or life in general, what would you go back and tell your pre-investing self about real estate and what to watch out for, what to do?
1: Oh, wow. I, you know, I would tell myself that real estate is the primary means to make money in the United States of America, you know, and that if I could, I would tell myself to focus on that in all honesty, but I would also tell myself to diversify my portfolio um, outside of real estate, so I do believe that real estate is awesome, but I and I love it. And uh, but what I would do is, if I were let's say 22, and I could go back and talk to my 22 year old self, I would say, hey, listen, I want you to take $2,000 a month, and I want you to just put it in, you know, a mutual fund uh, or a group of mutual funds until you're 30, and keep doing $2,000 a year until you're 30, and then stop. And then I want you just to then focus completely on real estate and uh, buy uh, properties that make financial sense and you do the math on them and make sure that they work before you buy them. Uh, Because I think that's often something that most people, including myself, have skipped uh, from time to time where you just don't do the math as well as you should. But do the math and and invest at any opportunity you can and hold those puppies as long as you can. Um, And because they will, you'll see those rewards reaped. And meanwhile, you've got this little basket of mutual fund investments that will potentially be, you know, anywhere from $1 to $3 million by the time you hit retirement. So, you know, that little bit of investing you can do up front and then let it compound over the rest of your life while you invest in real estate will just give you two huge nest eggs that you uh, can rely on either one of them. And if one of them fails or one of them blows up, you know, you've got the other one. And that's what I would tell myself if I were going back in time.
0: Good, good points. That is fantastic. So, similar to that, hypothetically, if you were to have to start all over again and you had a thousand dollars in your pockets and no properties, but you had all your experience, all your knowledge, what would you do to get back on your feet?
1: A thousand dollars i would I would save it honestly, I would use that as an emergency fund because if I only had a thousand dollars i would uh I wouldn't invest it, I would set it aside in case something happens medical medically wise or health wise. And I would uh, I'd go get as many part-time jobs as I possibly could if I didn't have a really good full-time job. And I would just work my tail off until I was able to save up about three to six months worth of uh, savings and, and you know, expenses for housing and whatnot. And I would just to get back on my feet, I would build up a little tiny emergency fund and then make it a bigger emergency fund. And then I would start maybe considering investing Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend that money on anything. I would keep it just in case something bad happened.
0: That's a great, great point. A lot of people think about, Hey, my life is changing. Either I'm making a little bit of money. Like if they buy one property and they have a little bit of money coming in their pocket, like $250 a month, let's just go ahead and go spend that. Or, you know, I have a little bit of savings. Let me just go buy a car or let me go spend it. Well, Saving is one thing that really helps people get wealthy and stay wealthy. I mean, the reason why I have wealth is because I don't spend it willy-nilly. And so I think you're absolutely right. So that's a great, great point that we got to be saving. But at the same time, I liked what you said, that you would get as many part-time jobs as you needed to, number one, to take care of yourself and your family, but then also so that you can have an emergency fund and then build your business from that. So you, I mean, if you work hard, you can absolutely do it.
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you got to hustle. I mean, if you don't have anything, you got to hustle. That's the only thing you can do.
0: Yeah. Great. So we're wrapping it up the, uh, this interview. So Lucas, what non real estate book would you recommend to everyone that they should read?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say rich dad, poor dad, because everyone says that, (laughs) but I, I think, uh, well, I suppose that's real estate, but uh, you know, for me, the the book that actually changed my perspective on real estate, and it was right around the same time I bought this house as well, uh, and it actually changed my whole perspective on finances and per- personal financing, uh, is just that uh, it's called My Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, and it's a classic book. It's been on the New York Times bestseller list for a while and for years, and it it just teaches you basic personal finance at a level that, you know, maybe your grandma would teach you where it's like, you know, don't spend money if you don't have it and make sure you save up that emergency fund because, you know, I think Dave always says that, you know, Murphy's going to move into your spare bedroom and something's going to go wrong. And so I was a big fan of Dave Ramsey when I was uh, in my twenties and I still am, but I think uh, that is a fantastic way to get started and make sure you have a, a nice little cushion, uh just in case one of your investments doesn't work out and you lose that money, you at least have a, a nice uh, savings account to back up on and, and your family's not gonna go hungry. You know, that that's essentially the most important thing. So yeah, check it out. That
0: that's great and that's very wise. I tell Um, A lot of my students, actually, all my students that I teach in real estate who actually come across um, just a good amount of money all of a sudden. Like I've had some students that actually receive an inheritance of like $150,000. And they said, well, I really want to invest. And so I encourage them. I say, this is fantastic. You're well ahead of the game than most people. So this is going to be great. But one thing I want to give you is a little bit of insight that when you don't have any money, when you 're building this up from your bootstraps and you are working hard, you fight for every penny like when you're if you 're putting an offer on a house that 's seventy five thousand dollars and that 's what they 're asking well you 're going to offer sixty thousand dollars or fifty five thousand dollars to try to get them to come down because every penny you don 't have or you' really you 've worked hard for it, and so you know the value of the money that you 're spending but when you have uh, you know, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, you know what? They're asking one seventy, or they're asking seventy five. Let me go ahead and you know offer them seventy. I'll get them to come down a little bit. So you 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 don't have that you know uh, the financial you don't have that financial understanding um, underneath your belt that you know don't spend too much money or don't spend money you don't have or you know negotiate for everything or fight for every penny. A penny saved is penny earned. All the great wisdom that comes from just uh, you know building up your business. You need to actually me be aware that that could be a, a potential downfall because, you know, you know, somebody's going to, when I didn't have any money and I had a, something to fix my car, you know, I had like, you know, the catalytic converter or something go out, I would fight for every penny. But now that I have money, I'm like, okay, let's just go get it done. You know, first place, let's just go take it and get it done. Well, that's not the best idea because you could save money and then use that money to invest. So good. I'm, I'm definitely going to be putting that, book, Dave Ramsey's book in the show notes. I've read it myself and really, really great stuff. So anybody who's looking to invest, make sure you have good financial sense inside of you so that when you do start making money, you still have that good financial sense. And you know, it's a sad thing, but you know, any pro player of NFL or NBA, it seems like more often than not, as soon as they start making money, they go out and spend it right away. And as soon as they stop playing, because they get injured or whatever it might be, they get cut. Then they're broke and they did not use that money wisely. So, not saying all of them, but just it seems like it has happened quite a bit. But uh, yeah, well, anyways, so Lucas, tell us about um, Cozy and landlordology, how you went from landlordology, and I believe you sold that. And, you know, can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. So, landlordology.com was my, my little internet baby, right? I, so, I decided that I was going to teach other people how to be a landlord, I, I was doing something right. I had a bunch of family and friends coming to me asking me what I was doing right and wanted to get into real estate. And I thought, you know, I could just write all this down. And so it was kind of one of those things where I just started blogging my heart out. And uh, the website was designed to give you everything you need to know about being a landlord and how you can be more profitable, more ethical, just a, a better business owner. And uh, it started getting really popular and Google started rewarding it with like, page one search results on a lot of different keywords and it started getting a lot of attention. And around that time I had a couple companies contact me and just say, you know, Hey, you're doing, you're doing something right. And one of which was cozy and they had just gotten started around the same time I did with landlordology. And they said, you know, you're trying to help uh, improve the rental industry through education, and we're trying to help improve the rental industry through software. You know, we're doing the same thing just with different mediums. So why don't we just talk about acquiring the brand and, and then hiring you to be part of Team Cozy, and then you can continue to do what you love. And around that same time, it, it was um, it was just perfect because I was working a, a full time job during the day and then working on landlordology at night, and uh, we were getting ready to adopt a little girl. Uh, and I knew that when she came home, she, I would need to bond with her and spend a lot of time with her. And so working for cozy allowed me to go you know, from two jobs to one. And then it also let me work from home so I could really, uh, be with her. And so it was just, uh, you know, a lot of blessings right around the same time. And, and so I joined team cozy and it, I just thought, you know, cozy is doing it right even from the beginning before i even talked to them i thought you know if there's anybody out there that i would love to be a part of uh, it would be them because they seem to really get this idea of uh, what independent landlords need and cozy got its start uh, back in 2012 when uh, we got some seed money from google and we said you know basically we want to democratize all these really expensive tools that big property managers have and we want to give them to landlords kind of like robin hood right i mean Take them and give them away and and try to make it free and, you know, give these landlords the same tools and assets that that property managers have and make it so that they can manage their own properties and they wouldn't have to hire, you know, really expensive property managers who take anywhere from 10 to 18 percent of the the annual rent. And so we started building this tool and and it started out with rent collection, but now you can do uh, everything from soup to nuts. So you can list a property for rent. You can find tenants and screen those tenants or credit reports and background checks. And then you can uh, once you find somebody, you can roll them right into online rent payments and get them set up for that. And uh, and then after that, you can manage maintenance requests and track expenses and get reports. And then when you have a vacancy, you can start the process all over again. So it's really, truly a system that anybody can use. It's free for landlords. Uh, Cozy makes their money on... Uh, the tenant, when the tenant is screened, when you want to screen a tenant with a credit report and background check, the tenant will pay for that as part of their application to the property. And so uh, we make enough on those uh, those screening reports that we can give away everything else for free, including you know online payments. So it's really quite amazing, and I use it myself to, to manage properties that are 2,000 miles away, and I, I don't need a property manager because of it.
0: That's, that's great. I personally use Cozy. I've used other... Um, software applications, their online applications, and other ones that um, are free as well. But I've actually dumped the other ones because I had my, my tenants had so many problems um, you, either with their bank accounts not working with that, the software, just many hosts of different problems. But now I use Cozy personally, and I've been using it for a little over a year now, if maybe a little longer. And I think I have at least nine or 10 properties with Cozy going through there. And I think I should be putting another one on there soon because if I don't manage it myself, or, or sorry, yeah, if I don't manage it myself, I have a property manager and they take care of all my other... Properties, but if there are some that I, 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 hey, I can go ahead and manage myself, which they're you know really self uh, self running properties where I don't have a lot of hands on. I manage it myself through Cozy, and so I fully fully um, endorse Cozy. I think they're terrific. I have not had any issues whatsoever. Which uh, other companies have had many issues. So um, if you guys would like to join Cozy, and remember. It's absolutely free for landlords. It's terrific. And the only way that they make money is really when they do a background check. And I would say highly, highly recommend always, always, always do a background check. It'll, you know, if even if you have to pay, like I literally in some of my um, states that I had, I invest um, the tenants would not pay because they were just, you know, lower income tenants and they wouldn't pay the, the background check. They wouldn't pay the 30, $35 or $25, whatever it might be. I knew that one eviction is going to cost me at least $1,500 in carrying costs in eviction fees and cleaning fees and turnover, all this sort of stuff that 1500 to 200 to $2,000 or $2,500 for one eviction. And so doing a $35 at most, you know, it's probably 25, $30, $35 background check has saved me thousands of dollars. So absolutely make sure you do all the screenings and you can also have the tenant pay for them, which is obviously strongly suggested. So if you'd like to go through Cozy, um, you can use my affiliate link, no cost to you obviously, because it's de- definitely free, but it'll help me out. They give me a little bit of a kickback to um a kick refer you over to them, go to their website, cozy, C O Z Y dot C O four slash Dustin. And if you go there, it'll give me a little bit of credit for, for you guys going over there. But again, it's f- completely free for you. And I absolutely love it. So, um, Hey, Lucas, thank you so much for being on the show, giving us all your wisdom and expressly t- telling us about, um, uh, meeting, uh, your, your, uh, your, uh, future wife through real estate. That was terrific. And then as well as teaching us how to invest in Washington, D.C., of all places. So thank you very much for being on the show.
1: Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, wasn't that super awesome and crazy how somebody can buy a property in a crazy expensive? I mean, I think Washington, D.C. is worse than San Francisco or L.A. or New York. Like Washington, D.C., prices are crazy. But he's found a way, instead of renting to a single-family basically, you know, a mom and dad with kids or just, you know, a small, uh, small family. He rents it out to multiple people. Isn't that just crazy? So there are so many ways to invest in real estate. And here's something that I want to leave you with is that you don't know what you don't know. There are many ways to invest in real estate. There's not just one way. There's so many different ways. And that's why I bring on investors, other investors that have done things differently so that you can see the amazing things that you can do and you can change how you invest. You can say, hey, I have this problem. Let me figure out another way to solve that problem. I'll give you an example. I might've talked about in the past that there was one area of the country that was doing really, really well. Like I was investing, it was doing really well 10 years ago. Well, slowly over time, the crime in that city started reaching over into the area that I invest and little by little, the area went downhill and so now it's, it has more crime and so what I've been doing now is I've been doing a rent to own so it's, people didn't want to rent and so instead of just renting, I do a rent to own so I'll probably do a whole podcast episode on rent to own. It's absolutely fantastic and help my business be so much more stable and I'm blessing people with homes so there are so many different ways but again, you don't know what you don't know and you don't know that there are terrific ways to invest in real estate even if you may be stuck against the wall where you have too many expenses and not enough income, we may be able to figure out a way to get it done. So get somebody that's going to help you. And recently, I've been blessed to work with a number of students that I've been able to help them develop a plan and figure out how to start investing wherever they are. They have a lot of debt or very little income, no savings, whatever it might be. I've been able to do that with them. And so if you're interested at all in coaching, go to my website, masterpassiveincome.com. At the very top, you'll see a button that says coach. Coaching, click on that. I'd love to work with you if you have any desire to learn. Um, it comes, The coaching comes with my ultimate real estate investing course. So let's get started. Let's get you changing your life with real estate rental properties. And so remember that link to get Cozy for free and be affiliated with me, cozy, C-O-Z-Y dot C-O forward slash Dustin. All right, guys, thank you so much for being here with me. I really, really appreciate you guys. If you can go ahead and subscribe rate and review this podcast it really helps to get more people interested in real estate and changing their lives because everything gets better when you have passive income it's just absolutely amazing once you get that first check of 250 dollars or 350 dollars a month from your rental property you will be sold all right guys thanks for being here i'll see you next week see you soon peace out